beautiful. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy this evening. We're going to be talking about uh, one of the most amazing things that God offers to us, and that's mercy. That's mercy. Sometimes we need it. We need a little mercy in our life. Amen. All the Kentucky fans here at church have been real nice today. A little mercy going around. A little mercy. And I appreciate it. Don't expect none in return in a couple of weeks. Amen. <laughs> oh, mercy. We all need mercy. And tonight we're going to be, I'm going to be starting in 1 Timothy and chapter number 1. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 12. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's start in verse number 12. It says this, And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. Faithful saying, I like that. Faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save Sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And the church said... Amen. God's word is good. I heard about a pastor who was standing out in front of a church like uh, we often do when we're dismissing, but this was to welcome people into the church. And this one mom comes in and she's hurting three or four kids. You know how it is. It's like hurting cats sometimes just to try to get the children in the door. Her hair was messed up. Her glasses were crooked and she was just well, just as frazzled as she could be. And, and that pastor sees her coming in with those kids, hurting those kid babies like cats and looking all frazzled. And he said, you know, what you would say, hey, how are you doing this morning? And she looked at that pastor and she said, well, preacher, to be honest, I'm somewhere between help me, Jesus, and Lord, have mercy. Amen. Have you ever been there somewhere between help me, Jesus, and Lord, have mercy? Matter of fact, Lord, have mercy. We say that often here in the South, but we shouldn't take it too lightly. Look at your notes at Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 3. And just kind of. This verse, this verse reminds me of what it sounds like when there's no mercy. And I don't like the way it sounds. Does that make sense? It says, he has cut off in fierce anger every horn of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has blazed against Jacob like a flaming fire devouring all around. And that's no mercy. And that's what you have there. Now, the only reason the sun came up today, the only reason why the clouds came out, the only reason why we got the rain that we had and we got the air that we have and the, the land that we have is because of the mercy of God. And uh, it's because of God. This is why it's so important. Because of the mercy, we don't get the judgment. The mercy and the judgment. Twice he says in this passage, I obtained mercy. Paul never got over the fact that when it comes to uh, being saved or in the ministry, that he was unqualified, undiluted. He just absolutely undeserved mercy. And, the, and this mercy, when you read Paul's letters, you'll notice that it was very precious to Paul. It meant a great deal. I think sometimes today we take it for granted. Uh, what's the old story the, about the, the woman, the mom who had went to see 
Napoleon for her son. Her son was on his second criminal offense for uh, stealing, and she was begging for Napoleon to show mercy to her son. And, uh, and uh, she's like, uh, you know, please show mercy. I know my, uh, my son is guilty, but show mercy. And Napoleon said, ma'am, your son is guilty. And he did, he's done it twice, right? It wouldn't be justice to show your son mercy. And she said, that's right. I didn't come asking for justice. I came asking for mercy. And that's a good picture of what we have in God. He doesn't give us justice that we deserve. He gives us mercy. So I want to look at, we're just going to walk through this passage of scriptures, and I hope you take some notes, but circle this in your notes. The first thing is, we see how thankful Paul is, that Paul changed from being resentful, right, a resentful, angry sinner to a faithful saint, and he was forever thankful. And look what God had done with Paul. Write this down. God had enlisted Paul. God had enlisted him. Look again at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. By the way, that word there for ministry, putting me into the ministry, that word ministry is where we get the word deacon from. And it means to serve, right? It's to, he says, called me to service. Look at this next slide. When God saved Paul, he also called Paul to service. Called Paul to service. That's a great principle for all of us. That when God called, listen, God doesn't call everybody into the uh, ministry as a vocation like he's called me but he's called everybody into the vocational ministry what I mean is this it doesn't matter what you do tonight you could be a pipe fitter or a welder you could be a doctor or a nurse you could dig ditches or drive trucks and whatever you do you ought to do it like God has called you to do it because he has and then while you're doing it you need to realize that you're doing it for God and not for man that you work to please the Lord but at the same time, we know every Christian has not been called into the ministry, but every Christian is called to some form of ministry. There's just this idea of not being involved in ministry is foreign to the word of God. The greatest need in church today is for people to be involved in ministry. Look at this next slide. Uh, this is this was information about four years old, but it says that 10% of church, there's a Gallup survey poll, and uh, it said 10% of church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. Now, this included mainline denominations, non-evangelical churches, and even Catholicism. So it was a pretty lumped-in group. We're not all the same. Uh, but it says that 10% of church members are active in any kind of personal ministry, and 50% indicated they have no interest in ministry at all. And uh, so what you have here are church members, but you don't have saved people. There's a big difference. Uh, look at this next slide. Old Charles Spurgeon. When he was converted, he was so hungry for God to use him to do something for God, that he would just go out and give gospel tracts. Matter of fact, he would write little Bible verses on little slips of paper and just leave them laying around everywhere he went, just hoping somebody would pick it up and read it and get right with God. He said, I cannot be happy unless I'm doing something for God. Listen, if you're happy doing nothing for God, if you're saved and you've been saved for any amount of time and you're happy doing nothing for God, I doubt that you know God. Now, it might seem strong, but that's what Paul indicates in his Word. Somebody said there are three kinds of church members, effective, ineffective, and defective. Have you ever met one of those? 
Now, those statistics that we showed you, I don't believe, those are not applicable across the board, only 10%. We've got more than 10% here at Grace. What do they say? 90% of, 10% of the people do 90% of the work or whatever. That's not true. Uh, we just require more manpower every week here just to get through the week, right, with all of our services. And there's all kinds of ways to serve. And sometimes we think there's only certain things that are called service. There are many different things that are called service. The important thing is to be willing to serve. And when we're not, we're not effective, we're ineffective. As a matter of fact, we're defective. If you're ineffective, you're defective. I mean, God has called you to be effective for the ministry. Next, Paul was enlisted, but also God enabled Paul. God enabled Paul. Look at it again in verse 12. He said, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. It wasn't just that God had enlisted him and gave him a job to do, but God gave him the power to do it. When God calls you to do it, he's going to give you what you need to do it. Uh, every command of God is at the same time a promise. When God says, Marcus, I want you to go preach at Grace Baptist Church, it is also a promise from God. He's going to give me what I need to preach at Grace Baptist Church. Does that make sense? And if God calls you to do something, he is going to give you the power to do exactly what he's called you to do. Think about it. When God commanded Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say, set my people free, he told Moses, I'll go with you. Right? When God chose Joshua to replace Moses and take the people into the promised land, he said, I'll go with you. When Jesus, before he left and he gave us the great commission, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he says, I want you to go into all the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? To see people saved and see them discipled. And then he says, lo, I'm with you always. If he calls us to do it, he's going to give us what we need to do it. Paul knew his success wasn't a seminary education, even though he had it. He knew his success wasn't church growth methods. I'm sure he knew whatever the latest Jewish material on how to grow the synagogue. I'm sure he had all that, right? Personal charisma. I'm sure Paul had that. Leadership skills. I'm sure Paul had that. But he knew it was none of that. He knew it was the power of God who enabled him. A, a wise man once said this, I think it was Adrian Rogers, said, without God, you'll either fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. There's nothing wrong with personality, ingenuity. We could all use a little personality, people, let me tell you. Ingenuity or creativity, but it's all futility when we try to do it apart from the power of God. If God is calling you to do it, he's going to give you what you need to do it. You are enabled just like Paul. See, circle this in your notes. Also, Paul had been enlightened. Enlightened. Okay, in verse 12 and verse 14, we see a picture of Paul after he got saved. Verse 13, that little sandwich there. In verse 13, we see what Paul was like when before he got saved. Right? This is not the guy. If you had a pulpit committee, this is not the guy you would call. Look at, bless you. Look at verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I mean, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. As a blasphemer, he attacked the person of Jesus. And a, a blasphemer is somebody who denies that Jesus is who he says he is. Paul said it himself in Acts 26, verse 9. Look at it in your notes. He said, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things uh, contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He attacked the people. Look at Acts 26, verse 10, that next verse. He says, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He was voting for people to be put to death, man. 
And as an insolent man, he attacked the power of Jesus. It goes on. Look at verse 11. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I per persecuted them even to foreign cities. He went all over the world looking for Christians to lock up and kill. Right? But that same thing's true today. The humanists today attack the person of Jesus. Well, he's just a good, great teacher. He's not really God. You know, I've heard ignorant people actually say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, you've never read the Gospel of John. Right? He clearly in his word makes those claims to be God. Well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He's a great teacher. Blah, blah, blah. Hush it up. It's not true. The secularists attack the people of Jesus, just like Paul attacked the people. The secularists today attack the people of God. The ACLU, right? The Anti-Christian Liberty Union, always lurking in the shadows, waiting around a corner to jump up and say, aha, and hit somebody with a lawsuit. Some teacher got a Bible on their desk, somebody accidentally praying somewhere they don't like, right? Some judge happened to mention God's law. Somebody wanting to put a manger scene down at City Hall. They're waiting around the corner. The pluralists attack the power of Jesus. Man, one of the most politically incorrect things you can say in 2019, that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. They don't like it. There's many ways and every way. Well, I say Jesus is the way. Well, you're wrong. Well, I thought you said every way was the way. We can't get it right. And Paul, before he was saved, before he was saved, was just like the world in 2019 blaspheming and hating the name of Christ, the people of Christ, and attacking the word of God. But look what he goes on to say. Look at the last part of verse 13. The good news is I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing testimony. The blasphemer became a blessing. The persecutor became a preacher. The murderer became a missionary, man. God can do it. You're better than Paul. Right? Okay, I probably told this story before. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I was witnessing with this preacher one time who shall remain nameless, and we were going out visiting, doing some follow-ups and things like that, and there's this guy, he was kind of rough, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, um, and uh, he's like, Marcus, I want, you know, I want you to go with me, right? I'm pretty sure he just wanted backup, right? He was scared because this guy was a wimp, amen? And so listen, the way he was, he got, God calls the weak and the meek and the little, and so and so we, we went, oh God knows I'm telling the truth. All right, so we went, and we're visiting with this guy, and he says to him, you know, I, was like, I just don't, everything that I've done, you know, he's trying to be all tough, like I've done so much, you know, and all that stuff, like you've got the corner on sin. But he's saying, I've done so much, I've done so much, I just, could God really forgive me and all that? And the, and, and the preacher, thinking of Paul, says, well, think about the apostle Paul. God saved him. And, and he was a murderer. He killed people. It's not like you've ever killed anybody, is it? And the guy looks at him and goes, <laughs> like that. And then this preacher, he goes, Marcus, won't you take it from here, man? <laughs> Talk to this guy. <laughs> Amen. Listen, listen, you're just as good as Paul. I mean, at least you haven't killed anybody. I'm not going to look at you. Amen. Listen, God took that blasphemer and made him a blessing. Thousands, my goodness, we're probably here this morning. We could probably connect the dots all the way back to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Oh, how God used him once he obtained the mercy and the grace of God. I also think about this guy. Look at this next slide. William J. Murray, um, on June 17, 1963, 
uh, the Supreme Court case, um, Murray versus Curlett, it, it, at the time, it's a little bit more complicated than this. Basically, what the Supreme Court at that time it came down on that voluntary prayer and um, uh, Bible reading was unconstitutional in schools. That was in 1963. Now, things have changed, right? But voluntary prayer at the end, that's how the Supreme Court landed. Voluntary prayer. Like, if you want to pray, no, 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 you can't pray in schools. It was unconstitutional. It was a very liberal Supreme Court at the time, right? And the plan to begin was Bill Murray. He was the son of uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare, you know, the famous atheist. The, if there's ever anybody that hated God like Paul did, it's this woman. And so Bill was raised as an atheist, raised to hate God and despise the name of Jesus. He's bringing these lawsuits all the way to Supreme Court so that people cannot voluntarily pray in school. This is how bad he is. But I've read the book by Bill Murray entitled, Let Us Pray, A Plea for Prayer in Schools. Just like Paul's heart, God changed Bill's heart. And he met the Lord Jesus, and now he's a minister of the gospel. The very God that he used to hate, God can change any heart. Number two, circle this in your notes. Also, Paul has a great message, just wonderful message. Look at verse 15. Paul says, I just love this. He says, this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul experienced the mercy of God. Look at this next slide up here. God's mercy is never given at the expense of his justice. Never think the gospel is a get-out-of-free-jail-pass, that you're getting away with something. God's mercy, God's justice, and his grace all work hand-in-hand. Hand. The reason why Paul experienced the mercy of God is because Jesus fulfilled the justice of God. The greatest message the ears of mankind ever heard is that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. This gospel message, write this down. Uh, Paul teaches us that it's reliable. Reliable, he says, this is a faithful saying. You can trust this saying. You can count on it. He didn't say it was a faithful saying. He didn't say it's going to be a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. It is as true today as it was the day that Paul first said it. It's up to date. It's relevant. It's true. It shall always be true. I mean, today's scientific truth may be tomorrow's metaphysical fairy tale, but God's word will not change. It was true then, true today, true forever. Not only is it true, but B, write this down. It's reliable, but it's valuable, valuable. Paul goes on to say that not only is it a faithful saying, but it's worthy of all acceptance. It's worth your attention. It's worth your focus. It's worth your allegiance. It's worth your acceptance. This is a, it's worthy of all acceptance. It's for every person and every time and every place. It's not just true for the Christian. It's true for the Muslim. It's true for the Buddhist. It's true for the atheist. It's true for the agnostic. It's true for the pagan. It's true for the idolater. It's true for the infidel because all of them are sinners. And Christ Jesus came to save sinners. It's valuable. Not only is it valuable, write this next word down. It's also profitable. Profitable. Listen to it one more time in verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Listen, the only people that are eligible to go to heaven are sinners. The only people that Jesus came to save are sinners. The only people that can be forgiven are sinners. The only people that can receive eternal life are sinners. Uh, I heard a, a pastor say this one time, the church is not a showcase for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. Hypocrites, drug addicts, alcoholics, convicts belong in the house of God. I believe that we ought to put a sign over the front door of the church that says, for sinners only, no one else need apply. 
what is it? Uh, I do think Dr. Rogers said this, that if you try to come to Jesus as a saint, you'll be rejected as a sinner. But if you come to Jesus as a saint, you'll be received as a saint. Isn't that amazing? There are two types of people that I have never met in my life. People that are so good that they don't need Jesus and people that are so bad, even that guy that claimed to kill somebody, right? So bad that Jesus can't save them. And again, in, in, in that one verse, Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. I think he believed it. A lot of times we say, a lot of preachers get up here, oh, I was a sinner. I'm a sinner. I was saying I repented of my sin. And what, what, what most times what folks want you to think is they sinned a little, Right? They sinned a little. And what we minimize our sin and maximize your sin. Does that make sense? My sin's no big deal. God knows my heart. And my heart, right? I meant to do good. God knows that I, I want to do good, but I was just a little bit of a sinner and I got saved. But all you hypocrites need to get right. And that's not true. And Paul here is saying, I just love the way he says it, the chief of all sinners. He truly was broken before God about his sin. I sinned. My heart was bad until I received the mercy and the grace of God. Paul, at one time, believed he hated Jesus more than anybody. And now he believed he loved Jesus more than anybody. And there's nothing wrong with that. God had saved him. God had redeemed him. And God had replaced his doubt with faith, replaced his hatred with love. Look at verse 16. He says, Howard, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering." Have you ever felt like that? As you've dealt with sin in your life, boy, poor Jesus waiting on you to get it right. Amen. All long suffering as a pattern, pattern, underline that word, to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Here's what he's saying. I believe that God saved me as a pattern. What he means is this. If God can save me, he can save you. If God can save me, he can save anybody. That's what he's saying. God is proving that he can save anybody when he saved me. Now, he may not save you the same way he saved Paul. You may not be blinded by a flash of light on the Damascus Road, but I promise you, if you get saved, you're going to see that light of the Word of God shine in your heart, and you're going to respond. Now, next, number three, again, circle this in your notes. When it comes to Paul and his amazing master, look at verse 17. Oh, this is good. He says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, Paul is so moved by his own testimony, he busts off in a doxology right there in the Bible. He just, he just starts a worship service. He's talking about how bad he is and how good he is. Next thing you know, he's just writing a song. He thinks of the Lord who had mercy upon him, and he can't get over how awesome he is. He tells us some things about Jesus. Write this down. The fact that Jesus, I'm going to give you some Bible words tonight, some theology words, that he's immutable. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't turn the volume off, okay? What it means is he's eternal. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> he says, now to the king eternal. Okay, that, that's a wonderful translation, and that's what, the, what it should be. But also in the, the original Greek, there's another sense of it. It means the same thing. And, but I like this. I like this. He's the king of the ages. Doesn't that sound cool? And that's what it says in the, in the Greek. He's the king of the ages. Always has been, always will be. Whatever age has ever been, he's always been the king of it. From everlasting to everlasting, forever king. There's never been a time when Jesus Christ wasn't king. Look at Matthew 27, 11 in your notes. It says, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus said to him, it is as you say, I love it. I love it so much. Now he's standing there and Pilate's like asking him questions. And what about this? And what about that? And Jesus isn't answering any of those questions. And then he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is like, sure enough. Sure enough. Yeah, right? It's like you said, I am the king of the Jews. Right? Uh, he couldn't remain silent when he was asked this question. If Pilate had asked him, are you the king of the Gentiles? He would have said, I sure am. Are you the king of the world? I sure am. Are you the king of the universe? Are you, I sure am. Hey, are you king? Period. I sure am. He is the king of the ages. He's the king eternal. Not only that, B, write this down. He's also immortal. Immortal. Um, that word there, immortal, it means imperishable, undecaying. I like undecaying. It's not just that he always has been and always will be. He's always in his prime. Right? There's no slow down. There's no lit up. Have any of you slowed down a little bit as the years have gone by? I'm still waiting for it to happen to me, Scott. <laughs> That's a lie. Listen, listen, he's not even slowing down. That's really what that word means when you see it undecaying. God is the one who cannot lie, and the God is the one who cannot die. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Now, the next one, this is in your notes, circle this. Invisible. Invisible to the human eye and to flesh, but not to the holy eyes of faith. In the world, you see his hand. In his words, you see his heart. And one day, everyone's going to see him, and every knee will bow. Now, D, write this down. He's also incomparable, incomparable. Paul ends up by saying this. I just, I love this. I love this verse, y'all. Verse 17. Again, it says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our God is not only the greatest God that's ever been, he's the only God that's ever been. He alone is God. And the beautiful thing is to see this, that God in his mercy did not give Paul what he deserved. He said he got grace, and he gave him what he did not deserve. He, he, listen, when Paul could say, Lord, have mercy, right? And he got it. I'm, I'm reminded, of, look at this next slide. I'm reminded of this story. This old judge was sitting there, and uh, he's about to render a verdict on this man. This man had been caught stealing food. And as the judge kind of questioned him in this small town court, uh, the, the judge found out the man had been out of work for a long time, and he didn't have any money, he couldn't get anything. And literally, he was stealing food to pay for, uh, to have something for his three little children and his wife to have something to eat. And so as the judge was listening to him, he, he knew that justice demanded something happen. And so he said, he told the man, I'm going to find you $100. He said, but I'm going to pay it myself. And he gave him the $100. And then he said, now I'm going to remit the fine. What that means is, if you ever go to court and you hear remit the fine, that means you don't have to pay. I have fined you, but I'm going to remit it. You don't have to pay. So now the man had $100. And the judge says, not only that, we're going to pass the hat around the courtroom. It's a shame that there's anybody in our community with three small children and a wife at home that has to steal some bread to feed their children. Let's pass the hat around. And so the man got the $100 and everything that was in the hat as well. Now, was there justice? Yeah, because the fine was levied. Was there mercy? Yeah, because the fine was remitted. The judge was going to pay it anyway. And was there grace? He walked out of there with a lot more than he walked in with. That's what we have. Yes, there was justice. Christ Jesus paid for all of our sin on the cross. And there was mercy in the fact that God didn't hold us accountable for our sins, but he poured his wrath out upon Jesus. 
And then there's grace because he gives us all the things we need to serve him and to love him and to make him known. We got more than we deserved and more than we could ever possibly deserve. That's why Paul was happy and grateful and thrilled and in love with Jesus. That's why Paul could say verse 17 and absolutely mean it. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone, his wife, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul had a song on his lips because the Savior was in his heart. He knew what he'd been forgiven of. He knew the mercy that he had received. Somebody said this one time, that in the, the left hand of God is justice, and in the right hand of God is mercy. And uh, it's almost like those movies, you get to choose. Do you want justice? You'll get it. Do you want mercy? You can have that too. If you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, admit your sin, admit what you are, and ask God to forgive you and, and come to Christ in, in, hum in humbleness, he'll forgive you and help. you'll have the mercy of God. But if you reject that and decide that you're good enough on your own and that you can make it happen on your own, you will not receive the mercy of God, but you'll receive justice and you'll receive the full penalty for your sin. And what a waste. What a waste. It's almost like when somebody buys you a gift card. Has anybody ever done that? Bought you a gift card? I'm reminded of this. I got one sitting on my dresser right now. I'm going to go spend it this week. Listen to me. Some, somebody buys you a gift card. And don't, if you've given me one, it wasn't one you got me. I spent that. Don't worry. And so, and so, and some of you, and, and, and you know what this means. You need to give me a gift. No, I'm kidding. Listen. It says if somebody gives you a gift of a gift card, I don't know, a, a Walmart card, Visa card for $100. And, and, and you take that card, and it's wonderful, and you've got it, you've got access to it, and you can use it anytime you want to, but it sits on your dresser. You never use it. You never cash it in. You're never going to be able to enjoy the benefits of that blessing. Is that right? And that's the same thing with the grace of God. It's like as if there's this card, and it has grace, and it has mercy, and he's giving it to you so that you can spend it, and you won't have to face judgment. But you never cash it in. You never use it. You never redeem the promises that God has given you. And he's freely offering it to you. Justice or mercy. Choose mercy. Help those around you to choose mercy by being who God has called you to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for mercy. Lord, we need it. And we're so grateful that you are so good to us. Lord, thank you for the choice. Thank you for the choice. Thank you for enabling us and empowering us and calling us. God, thank you uh, for your love and your sacrifice. Lord, thank you for your goodness. You alone are the king eternal. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed, just a moment. If you're here tonight, and maybe you, you know that you're saved, you're a Christian and all of that, but maybe just life, man, is getting in the way between you and God. You've received the mercy of God. You've received the grace of God. He's been so good to you. But probably on your lips tonight, maybe, isn't anything like what Paul said. To the king eternal, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Maybe on your lips is something else. There could be some, in your heart, there could be some bitterness or some grievance, some anger, I don't know, some sadness.
And maybe somehow in your walk with God, just day to day, you have drifted away. You haven't drifted away from the mercy. God's mercy is still there. But somehow you've stopped acknowledging and recognizing the goodness of God in your life. Why don't you confess that tonight? Right there in your seat, why don't you just praise God? You are the king of the ages. You're so good. Thank you for your blessings. Remind me of every good thing you've done in my life. You just pray that prayer. Say, God, I know every good thing comes from you. But maybe you're here tonight, you've never prayed, prayed to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You, you've not done it. Maybe you're like that guy that me and that preacher went and visited that time. And he, he was asking, I've just done too much, too much. Or maybe, like we talked about this morning, you've put it off and you think, I just put it off for so long. I don't, I don't, even, know, I don't even know if I deserve to be saved. And everybody thinks I'm saved and I don't want to embarrass anybody or let anybody down listen none of that matters right now in this moment the only thing that matters is that you receive from the right hand of god mercy and grace and forgiveness and righteousness why don't you just pray right there in your seat right now you pray a prayer like this and just say god i'm a sinner i'm the chief of sinners my sin god is breaking my heart i know it breaks yours and god i turn from my sin and i'm turning to jesus save me jesus And then you can say, Lord, thank you. Oh, thank you for the mercy and the grace that you've given me. I don't deserve it. Lord, help me to make it public. Help me to take my stand for you and for your word. Listen, tonight as we have our time of invitation, if you've prayed that prayer or you've given your heart to Christ and you need to make that public declaration, you come. You need to follow through and be baptized. That's what God is calling you to do. That's your first step of obedience. Not a shame. Maybe your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. Maybe God is calling you to make it official tonight and come and be a part of the Grace Baptist family. You come do that. This Sunday night, man, this invitation, do what God has called you to do. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us, the mercy that you've given us to get us to this moment. And Lord, help us to use this moment in a way that will glorify you. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? Amen.